Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. Our guest today is Dr. William Courtney. He's coming to us from the island of Dominica in the Caribbean. Welcome, William. Thank you. Begin by telling us where is Dominica? Place it for us geographically. It's about 700 miles off of Venezuela. So we're quite far down the Caribbean chain. Uh, we're below uh, Guadalupe, uh, kind of about near Martinique. So it's a it's a small it's a small island, um, you know, quite a ways from Puerto Rico. Uh, like I said, we're closer to Venezuela than Puerto Rico. And when you fly to the United States, where do you fly to first? What's your first stop? Well, we gave that sport up a while ago. <laughs> we don't we don't fly into the United States at this point. We're uh, pretty much indigenous. But, you know, in the past, we would have flown into Miami. And it was, is it a direct flight from Dominica to Miami? Um, it depends. They, they turn over sometimes American Airlines is here, sometimes Layot. Um, they change carriers quite a bit. So it really depends on the specific carrier at the time. Um, a lot of them will, would want to stop at Puerto Rico first and then go from Puerto Rico to uh, Commonwealth of Dominica. William, you've been a pioneer nationally in the United States and internationally for many decades. And you've taken a certain amount of heat from our draconian country, which has suppressed research into psychoactive substances for over 50 years. Is the reason you don't fly back to the United States political because of your concerns? Um, there was a judge who said that he wanted to collar me and you know was waiting for me to return and you know he was i have in text pretty serious uh concerns um and i really didn't want to come into his uh jurisdiction and you know kind of go through a process because he was i think he was quite upset with uh the success we were having in court with uh, at that point cannabis was medical wasn't recreational and so I did a fair amount of representation of my patients and uh, was quite successful in their defense. And uh, he, I think he had a personal anti-cannabis problem, and uh, he kind of stuck that on me. Well, we're making progress. As you know, I think 26 or 28 states now have some form of marijuana laws. And uh, it looks like it may be just a matter of time before the uh, Fed rolls over as well. Um, today, we want to follow up on your last interview. And one of the things I want to ask you about is to tell us about different strains of marijuana, of tetrahydrocannabinol, because we're learning that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution in terms of medical benefits. So please elaborate on, uh, on the strains. If you're looking for acute, immediate relief, meaning you, know, you just were in a car accident and you have a lot of articular pain or you're looking to um, control acute pain, then, you, then you're going to be looking to strains and um, THC and THC combinations uh, are nice because the CBD can mitigate some of the psychoactivity for those who find that unpleasant and yet would like a kind of more serious serious uh, serum level. Um, but what's interesting from my perspective, which is cannabis as a dietary essential raw plant, is that the body will take um, any strain you provide it with and it will sequester and build up reservoirs of all you know, the cannaflavins, the flavonoids, the phytocannabinoids, the terpenes. And so the body, if you're, if you're consuming cannabis as a dietary essential um, over a couple of months, your body will compensate for maybe a deficiency in one strain. So say you're looking for a 10, 20, 25, 30% CBD plant because you really want that particular molecule and you want it acutely, then you would go to a strain. If you're going to full uh, whole plant uh, benefit, 
then the strain is less critical because the body will compensate and the body will say, uh, say THCV or CBCA is um, particularly low in a strain, the body will build that level up over months um, and it'll take whatever little is presented and essentially your total body content will be 30, 60, 90. Some studies show that the um, total body content can be over 200 times your daily dietary dose because that's how long it takes to eliminate those molecules. So consequently, they build and build and build, which there's a, I wrote a paper on the sequestration is the body capture, and then summation is the process by which the body takes every little bit daily for months and builds up a level. And so you, know, you may have a plant that's 25% CBD, but 0.5% CBC, the CBC over two or three months, um, the amount that may be deficient in the particular profile will will, will summate and give you um, the benefits of that cannabinoid over time. But it's not going to do that immediately. But if you if you integrate it into your diet, um, it it will work with whatever you provide it um, and build up all the reservoirs depending on like the particular profile. And every plant has you know has a particular profile. One's going to be real high in CBC or CBD or THC, THCA. Um, you know, there's like 150 of those individual cannabinoids. Um, the, the body will work with whatever you give it, um, and particularly if you give it some time to uh, sequester and summate to a, a total body content that is functional. For people who are following us and wondering how much is necessary on a daily basis in order to build up to the amount that you believe is necessary for ongoing healing. So if they're thinking about following your prescription and ingesting the raw plants, could you give us an amount in ounces or, or an amount of milligrams of THC and CBD or some kind of formulation that people could follow if they want to uh, and endeavor to, to go along with your ideas about uh, daily ingestion? Um, yes. And uh, I'm actually, my understanding of that continues to kind of uh, reduce over time because my preferred route is to take the leaf and uh, put it into, uh, roll it up into a small ball, put it between your jaw and cheek, and then the saliva will soften it. And then every time you squeeze that little ball of cannabis, the terpenes, the flavonoids, the cannabinoids, they, they come out and then they're absorbed in the oral cavity. And so when, when you absorb um, through the oral mucosa, those phytocannabinoids and terpenes, the whole complex array that's in this plant, they go into the venous system. And that venous system, as it bypasses the liver, only 10% is shunted into the liver for metabolism. Um, if you're going to, uh, if, you, if you take it and swallow it quickly into the intestine, then 100% of what is absorbed through the intestine is all filtered through the liver, so metabolism is at a much higher rate. So it kind of depends on whether you're gonna do oral absorption or intestinal absorption in terms of, um, if you don't have access to a high quantity, then you definitely want to do oral absorption. If you have an unlimited supply, um, then you can do intestinal absorption and you know, maybe you recover a little bit less, but you have so much of it that you can still end up with a, you know, with a robust total body content over time. So when you're talking about putting something in the corner of your mouth and, uh, and just letting it stay there, sort of masticating it, um, which is somewhat similar to what the uh, Amazonian Indians do with a coca plant, right? Which is hold it in their mouth over time. And can you give us an idea of what size bolus a person should put in the corner of their mouth? A, a few ounces, an ounce? No, that's no. much too much. Yeah, yeah. It would be, you, uh, it'd be more leaf, like grams. Yeah, I, a leaf or two is what I use. You just pinch that little stem off because that's very fibrous. Pinch that off, 
And one leaf is actually pretty functional. Two is going to be a slightly stronger dose. And the strength is the terpene. The terpene is the peppery, aromatic element that, that comes through. Um, but a couple of leaves uh, rolled up. I used to dice, I used to slice them into thin strips that would kind of open the cellular material out. And then I'd take these little bits of, they look like spaghetti, you know, two or three inch long, eighth of an inch wide little strips of cannabis to roll those into a ball. But as I get older and lazier, I just take the leaf and pinch off the stem, roll it up into a ball and put it in my cheek. And then it's, um, it provides continuous perfusion of the oral cavity for um, an hour or two. And when that, when that peppery flavor dies off, then swallow it if you want, or you can spit it out and then grab a couple more. So, you know, the, the, you know, I would imagine, uh, you know, four ounces of leaf material or, you know, one to two leaves four to five times a day. Um, in the past, we used to take, uh, you know, a, a fairly large quantity of leaf and juice it. And then you'd have this one ounce, uh, very, very concentrated juice. But the material you were spitting out of that juicer um, has a lot of value in it. And, uh, you know, you can, I mean, that, that, that pulp, you can, you, can, you can put that in your mouth. And if you heat it, you will get very intoxicated. So key to, to the oral is um, the lack of heat because the heat, whether the heat is generated from blending in a blender or if it's actually, you know, sauteed, baked, smoked, um, heat is what it releases the THC from the THC acid, creating the psychoactive effect. So if you look at human usage for the last you know, 10,000 years, it always involved heat because um, the pursuit was in the psychoactive. problem with the psychoactive is it severely restricts the amount that you can use of the plant because you know, there's a level where I just I don't want to get any higher than that. But if the psychoactivity is not there, then your 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 dietary use can go a lot higher because you're not dealing with feeling you know like a couch potato. Okay, so you take the leaf. We're not talking about the buds now. We're talking about the leaves. Take a couple of leaves, put them in the corner of your mouth. Let them stay there for a couple of hours. Spit them out. Put a few more leaves in, and you'll be ongoingly in, uh, taking in the um, the healing material and without getting the psychoactive effect. So you'll be sober, you won't be high, and you'll be uh, taking in the medicine. Did I get that correct? You did. And an interesting point in these days of COVID, and we spoke a little last time maybe about NeoCove, which is this particularly virulent strain that is it probably going to jump the lab sometime. This NeoCove um, it has the lethality of MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. So it's 30, 35% lethal. Um, but unfortunately, it combines it with the uh, transmissibility of COVID. So the NeoCove will, you know, the idea if you're sitting there with a group of people, the one on the left and one on your right, one of the three is going to be missing um, in that event. And 30% lethality, it, it, will, it would obviously devastate culture, society, and um, you know, it's and so when you do the oral absorption, your um, the ACE, the angiotensin converting enzyme two receptor, that's how a lot of viruses gain entry into the body. Um, it's it's a docking site that they come to and attach, and then um, they cross the um, plasma membrane and they're inside the cell. Well, the cannabinoids um, have a way of blocking that ACE ACE two receptor so that you prevent viral attachment and entry. So a primary and, and very significant aspect of oral um, use of the plant is that's going to really enhance your ability to reduce uh, viruses. And if we slide into a very lethal virus, you'll want to have that habit down and be comfortable and have a, have a small amount of fresh material kind of growing. It doesn't take a lot when you're using the leaves that way and absorbing them through the mouth. And so in, in addition to recovering a lot of the chemistry of the plant, you're also bathing your primary vulnerability to viral infections. So you're dramatically enhancing uh, the prevention of viruses when you bathe the oral pharynx with uh, 
with the uh, the whole complex thing that comes with raw cannabis. Well, while we're on the topic of uh, preventing viral infections, uh, give us some information about this Oregon State University research that you brought to my attention in our last interview. You know, and it's taken me that long to come up with, you know, some outside verification. You know, they were talking about CBDA and CBGA, so cannabigerolic um, acid. And these two acidic cannabinoids were very involved in uh, prevention of, of uh, virus, particularly the COVID virus. And, you know, so much of what we do with the plant involves heat because, you know, at one level, we were always pursuing the psychoactivity. And then it got to, well, we're processing it, we're sterilizing it, we're making products. And, and, but when you do that heating phenomena, you, you decarboxylate those two critical medicinal acidic cannabinoids that are involved in protecting the body from this virus. So, you know, it's, it was just such an amazing to see in print somebody else, you know, giving a little bit of weight to the whole plant, to the raw plant. Um, it was a, a vindication like I've never had before. Must be very pleasing. Now, in exogenous cannabinoids can reduce the sensitivity of our cannabinoid receptors, correct? Well, the body produces the endogenous cannabinoids. And they're actually, if you search online, there is a, an endogenous cannabinoid deficiency syndrome. So your endogenous cannabinoid system that I've always emphasized the role of the endogenous cannabinoid system in intracellular regulation and coordinating the biochemistry of the individual cell with the 100 trillion cell organism. I mean, it specifically, uh, you know, after having uh, come, located the research on the endogenous cannabinoid deficiency syndrome, um, your dietary cannabis comes in and supports the ECS system. If, if you were doing, you know, because of the THC and the 10,000 microgram kind of comfortable limit, if you, if you uh, had a cookie that had, uh, was a two-way cookie or a three-way or a four-way, and you ate the whole cookie, you could end up with enough THC that you could be uncomfortably intoxicated. That does not occur with the raw plant. I mean, you have to move into massive doses of THC, which are not found in the living raw material. So a lot of our negative effects uh, come to our ability to take THC acid, which can be present maybe up to 100, 120 times higher concentration than the amount of THC in the same plant. So there's very little THC in a plant that has a lot of THC acid. The THC acid is non-psychoactive, and there was a study that showed that THC acid will not break down in your body to release the THC, because I was quite concerned early in, in this adventure, because I was advocating that people consume you know, large quantities of the raw plant, and I was like, what happens if all that THC acid suddenly decarboxylated? You know, you could be very intoxicated, but it, it must be bound to proteins and it's stabilized because there is not a decarboxylation that occurs in the body of the THC acid. So fortunately, you can take very high doses of THC acid and, and not have um, an intoxication that could interfere with your ability to raise your child, drive a car, walk a straight line. Now, I, I met someone recently who was told by their doctor that they had an exogenous cannabinoid overreaction, that, that they were having, their body was reacting negatively to taking uh, marijuana. Have, are you familiar with that syndrome? Um, I've... I would like to see the particular paper. I mean, the only the only cannabinoid that create, creates a problem, a you know, little tiny bit the delta eight, but the delta nine is the one that is dose limiting. And so, most often when I hear that that concern, it's around, oh, that you know that person you know was too young and he took too much, or um, you know he took too much for his weight. Um, but it, it generally refers to an excessive amount of the uh, psychoactive cannabinoids. And like I said, the 
vast majority is THC, but a little bit a little bit of the delta A THC. There is some psychoactivity, and you can have an uncomfortable dose of that. But you, if you're doing raw cannabis, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's, you're not going to get to an excessive level of THC um, to to create any problems there. So you're you're using a plant that has been decarboxylated through some process or another to expose you to an uncomfortable level um, that these people would be reporting about. So if if adding cannabinoids to our system functions as a viral preventative, as you've been saying all along, and now you're getting validation from Oregon State University, do you have any theory as to why the body doesn't produce even more cannabinoids in order to create its own viral protection mechanism? Um, it's probably safe to say that the body does. You know, they, they've looked at, if you, if you grab a milliliter of seawater, you know, there's like 800,000 milligrams of viruses, you know, in the sea. And so we are inundated in a viral environment. And so I would, I would dare say that um, our endogenous cannabinoid system is very involved in the limited slings and arrows that we suffer. Um, and what this plant does is enhances that. In particular, you know, if you have a endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, say you're an individual prone to more colds or illnesses, um, it can support your, um, your deficiency syndrome that you are suffering from and bring back a more robust resistance. Um, and then but the idea of bathing uh, the oral cavity in relatively high concentrations um, just you know, gives you an, an additional boost, particularly as we uh, are staring down the barrel of some very lethal viruses. Just to sum up this uh, interview, I know you're in the tradition of many scientists in history who have used themselves as their primary subject, uh, courageously so, I might add. Uh, in the time that you have been ingesting uh, cannabis and, and plants, I know you went for a certain number of years where you were making it in a blender and drinking it, and now you're advocating more for putting it in a bolus in the corner of your mouth. Are there changes in your own health that you can share with us? I've, uh, you know, my father lived to be 96, and so there's some good genetics uh -huh. in, the, in the family. And, um, but there are also some bad genetics. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, of some medical conditions that I'm trying to keep my, uh, in, in front of. Um, but I, it, it's very rare that I will um, catch a cold. But with three young girls, you know, there's, you, I can probably run into some pretty heavy exposures and, you know, swapping spoons and, you know, really getting pretty massive doses. But it's, I've been very fortunate in, uh, you know, not having uh, a lot of conditions and, um, you know, and despite being in environments where someone who's, you know, uh, days away from being 70, you know, could be running into a lot of problems. I consider my health to be uh, uh, very blessed and, probably in no small part to the blessings of this plant in supporting, um, you know, our, our ability to protect ourselves from viruses, uh, recover, restore health. Um, really, the when you support the ECS, and I beg people to please look up the endogenous cannabinoid system in Wikipedia and, you know, read that daily, follow some links, because the more you know about how your cell functions, the more you're going to understand why this plant, which supports that, is so critical. And, and you'll become, and you'll, you'll have knowledge behind your actions, and then you'll be able to represent them to the naysayers and the people that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what's next? You're going to start smoking the stuff and pretty soon be rolling around in the ditches. And so, I mean, if you use cannabis regularly, you'll run into a little grief from a judge here or there, um, but that certainly shouldn't stop you. And I just want to add, now that we're just coming to the end of our interview, that the methods that you are advocating for of ingesting cannabis 
are methods which do not lead to a psychoactive result. They lead to, in your theories, a health result, a prevention result, but your consciousness is not altered. Correct. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. William Courtney. It, it Look forward my... to our next interview. I'll, also, if, if people are interested, I do, uh, I do consults, and uh, I have a Northern California phone number, the 707-961-1420, or best if you send Ask Dr. Bill, A-S-K-D-R-B-I-L-L at gmail.com. Send me your name, your phone number, condition, if you'd like a consultation, and we can go over specific questions, dosing, available strains, you know, uh, whether you're looking for an acute, immediate effect or if you're looking to build health over time. But anyways, um, you know, I, I consult with people from Japan and Europe all over, uh, interested in uh, being of any assistance that I can with individual questions. Okay. Turn it over to Kristen now. Hi, Kristen. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Thank you for having me. How long have you been living in Dominica now with your family? We've been in Dominica for seven years now. It's Dominica is the correct, correct pronunciation. Yes. For how long? Seven years in this house for um, six years now. Did you build this house or was it there when you got there? When we got here, they didn't have any bathrooms and they didn't have the animal cages and some of the outbuildings we put in, but they did have um, three houses here. So one little tiny one that still doesn't really have plumbing and one really nice one, and then one that's big enough for all of us. <laughs> so, And were you able to find local people to help you build things such as the bathrooms? Yes, it was um, all local people. We also built a, a road. Yes, I heard about that fantastic road that you built out of cement. Um, Beautiful. Are the, are the local people are the local people fairly close? Like, are they within walking distance? Yeah, um, it depends on how comfortable you are with walking. We live up the road, and it's about a mile to get down to to go down to the feeder road and um, get out to go anywhere. And, but we do have some neighbors living very close and some really nice people We've been pretty lucky and w william tells me it's about an hour 45 minutes to an hour to get provisions for the family is that correct yes you have to go all the way to the capital of so and do you happen to know the pop the, the population of the capital um i know that the population of the country most people that live here think it's around fifty thousand. But um, officially, it's got, they, they're saying 60 to 70,000 people. But most people don't think that that's accurate. It's a very, and when it's you a go very to tiny the capital, country. It's a tiny country. And when you go to the capital, are there regular stores where you buy, like, do you walk into a supermarket or is it all open air? What is it like doing shopping there for food for the family? Well, they have both. You can go to the market which is open after COVID again. And I really like going there and supporting um, local al agriculture. But they do have several large stores too. You don't always know what you're going to be able to get. Like it took a year for us to be able to get clocks here because they just didn't have them on the island. And so, you know, the girls may have a very specific list of what they want for Christmas, but you have to go with what's actually on the island at that time. So. And what about food? Uh, is, is various kinds of food for the family readily available when you go to town? Yeah, they do. They don't maybe have quite what we're used to in Northern California. It's a more simplified menu, but um, you, are, you are able to get things in and we get barrels occasionally from friends. So we can get certain items that you can't find here. Mm -hmm. And what about electricity for the house? How do you get electric electricity? Are you on photovoltaic or do you have a power line? We have a turbine. We used to have solar panels, but they got taken out during the uh, big hurricane in 2017. Uh -huh. But we have the turbine is working really well, and it, around this time of year, it can be. Um, 
until we get new batteries and new solar panels, sometimes you have to turn off the refrigerator to be able to put the computer on or you store the cold food in the pond because you want to be able to run two computers and it can get kind of it's it's kind of comical now. At first it was very annoying, but now I've learned to laugh about it. And what do you do for lighting in the evening? Do you use kerosene or electricity? How does that work? We use the electricity generated from the, the turbine or we go on a generator. The kids love when we go with and, candles, but <laughs> it's not always practical. Uh, and how do you get fuel for the generator? You have to go into town and... Um, have a friend with a car and pick it up there. And they have cylinders that you can use in the house. We do also cook out outdoors the way a lot of um, people out here do. And it can either be very fun and the whole family gets involved, or if you're doing it because the car broke down and you have to fix it before you can drive an hour to town, it can be a little annoying to do it for a long period of time, but we've gotten much better at it. And we've built and a, when you a mini when you, bread oven. When you talk about cooking outside, are you talking about cooking with wood? Yes. Making fires and cooking that way. Yeah. And you can use charcoal here too. You can make your own charcoal, which is like a three, four day process, but it's really nice to be able to have it because it's always wet here. So the wood that you use, we need lots of kindling and we try to save coconuts and things and try to remember to store up wood, but we haven't for a while now. And there's a wave right now. We had to put the window plugs in because the rain was blowing across the whole room and was soaking the computers right before we called you. So it's <laughs> it's not like significant as far as what we can get this time of year, but it does make it more challenging to do basic things around the house. Well, I've lived without electricity, and I've lived with uh, where I had to go uh, 40 minutes to get propane tanks, but I think you're living in even a more remote way than I've lived, and uh, it's quite challenging. I really like it. William and the kids love it and love it so much that times that I've realized, you know, I have certain ideas about what should and should not be available, and if I get stuck in that, I'll get, you know, a little bit irritated with this or that. But mm -hmm. um, they have the girls have so much fun here and we get to do so much together as a family that it really is a great adventure. And I appreciate what we're getting from being here. And the, the girls, I assume, of course, are being homeschooled. Yes. Which they like very much. Although they do appreciate uh, the internet as well. I'm sure it helps that there's three of them. That that helps a great deal. How far are you from the ocean? About an hour. Mm -hmm. We're right in, in the middle of the country, about close to a thousand feet up in the mountains. So it actually is very nice because it stays much cooler here. Whereas if you're on the ocean, it's it's very hot for somebody with lupus. It's um, very uncomfortable. So here it's always a little bit shady, a little bit rainy, and the rain doesn't last usually all day. It comes and goes in waves, but you know it's always going to rain. You're, you're mentioning lupus, Kristen, uh, so that helps us segue into a topic that I want to uh, talk to you about, which is you've had some healing experience uh, using uh, psychedelics, particularly marijuana, as as uh, William has told me. Can you uh, tell us about that, please? Well, I was always very sickly as a child and always spending a lot of time out of school. And then I started having different surgeries for in interstitial cystitis. It's a bladder condition. I had rheumatoid arthritis that I had to have surgery on my knee for. I broke my back in two places. I have um, endometriosis and I got um, dysplasia of the cervix, um, multiple sinus infections, having my tonsils out as an adult. And I just thought I'm not going to be able to make it if this keeps going on. I was on any medication pretty much that 
one of our patients tells us about, I've been on, or I've been on that same class of drugs and experimental treatments, all kinds of things. I like to say that William has studied medicine for years and years, and I've just had every condition you can have. So I read about the endogenous cannabinoid system while I was in college and dropped out of college, drove to California and started using cannabis medicine and tried to just have a really good diet. I was um, not juicing at first, but once I added the juicing, it helped far more than edibles or tinctures or any of those have helped me. So I started juicing and I had always been told that I wouldn't be able to have children and had had fertility issues. And we got blessed with my daughter, Zahaya. I had two more girls with no problem at all. And um, I was really, really healthy. But then when we had our fourth child, I got, um, she got a condition called high drops, an extremely rare medical condition. And they were like, there's pretty much no chance. Then I got mirror syndrome, which I filled with fluid as well. And I've had several strokes since we've come here. And to the point of having to learn how to talk and walk again. And I had seizures pretty frequently. And, um, several problems arising from the stroke, you know, difficulty swallowing, insomnia. And now that cannabis is legal here, and I've been able to use that, I'm already able to walk, you know, like the mile down our hill and back up again. That's something I couldn't do over the last few years. I can go out and swim and play with the girls. I'm sharper when I'm like doing their, their schoolwork. I can work now. And I really believe that it probably wouldn't have been as serious except for an interruption in cannabinoids. So I'm for me, it makes all the difference. And what caused the interruption in your ability to take the cannabinoids? They were about to legalize cannabis here. And another physician wanted to do a cancer clinic with William. And it kind of all fell through with bureaucracy and it just disintegrated. And by then we already had fallen in love with the island and we didn't want to leave. So we just thought we'll stay here and help with the legalization process and eventually be able to do what we need to do here. So when you were experiencing the strokes, for example, were you already on the island or was that when you were still back on the mainland? Already on the island. Okay, so you went through those various conditions on the island. And then are you saying that when you started to uh, drink the, uh, the cannabinoids that your healing began? Or was it when you started to take them as a leaf, as a bolus uh, in the mouth, the way uh, William described to me, or both? What was your method both. of administration? Both, both, but primarily the juice. But I leave the pulp in from and it. You keep the pulp in. Are you, do you have some pulp in right now? I don't at the moment. But um, okay, because if you did, I was going to ask you to show it to show it to us. Um, so, do you juice on a daily basis? I try to. There's times that it's it's harder to grow because you know there's limits on how much you can have, and um, sometimes it grows great in the rain and sometimes it does not. So I see. have to work with it a little. And how long has it been since you've had a stroke? The last stroke I had was early 2021. Were you told what the cause of the stroke was? They believe that it's from mirror syndrome, which gave me high blood pressure issues. And um, that I with the lupus, they're like, you know, you, you now they say I have fibromyalgia and all these conditions. So they say a lot of those go hand in hand, but they really don't know for sure. And I'm not sure whether it's caused from the interruption in using cannabis and using the amounts that I was using or whether it would have happened anyway. And this is helping. But at one point, one of the strokes gave me um, 
It's a rare condition, daytime sleep apnea, where you can stop breathing several hundred times a day. And I would just be sitting here talking and just pass out, hit my head or um, just stop breathing. And I would need to be brought back where they would, um, sometimes it was just enough to put something under my tongue or other times they'd have to do compressions on my sternum to be able to get me to breathe again. The physician that I saw was actually, he's like the minister of health here and he's held other positions in parliament. So he's very well respected and he helped my parents to be able to get their passports quickly and my brothers so that they could come out because he did not believe that I would be alive. And that was May of 2019. They said, you'd be lucky to live a couple more weeks. And the, um, the doctors were like, go home and like, you're into cannabis medicine. Just go try that because we have got nothing for you that we can think of that's going to cure this. And you're going to have a secondary accident or other problems as a result. And um, here we are years later and I'm still around and I've not had a seizure or a stroke for a while. And the last one was more of a mini stroke. Like I couldn't talk for a couple of days, but it cleared up. Well, this is, this is an amazing story. And so when you have a stroke, I mean, you're, you're tremendously fortunate that you've got a doctor right in the house, of course. But when this happens, and William tells me you have to walk, I don't know how far you can tell me, and then you have to take a bus for 45 minutes after you walk to the bus. When I've had a serious problem, we've been lucky enough that either we were able to get friends to bring supplies here. Like we have a very well-stocked um, pharmacy and with all kinds of things because you never know when you're going to fall in the middle of the night and not want to walk a mile down the hill or have a friend that wants to pick you up and you have to put stitches in yourself. So it's a much rougher way. I've had animals that I've needed to suture in the middle of the night. And um, so we have a lot of things here to take care of me, but we did used to have a car. It blew up here with William in it. And luckily he got out. But, um, well, oh, you mean it literally blew up? Literally, literally, like on fire, like barely made it out of the car. So we've had bad luck with vehicles here. As they say, they're, oh, they get all mashed up. Your transports uh -huh. get mashed. Uh -huh. But we were lucky enough that when I had had a stroke and actually wanted to go into the hospital that day, I was able to find a way. And they do have an ambulance, although I have not used it so i don't know how um how efficient that is but they have stepped up a lot of their medical care here since um covid and the chinese rebuilt the hospital here and it is free to go to the hospital for anybody that's on the island which is uh -huh. pretty nice yeah and um it's a lot nicer than it used to be but I, I'm kind of have a, a medical, I have a phobia from being in hospitals so frequently over the years that if I can tough it out, I will wait and then go see my doctor later rather mm -hmm. than go into the hospital if I can deal with it. Because as soon as I get there, my blood pressure goes up and I'd rather be at home juicing cannabis with my family. It's worked for me so far through some pretty incredible medical illnesses. Yes, it, indeed. It does seem to be getting better. Like William built me um, a pool in the pond. It's all made of rocks and very pretty. And I used to be able to, I used to not be able to go swimming in it with the girls unless somebody was there to watch me because the first time I went in, I passed out due to the cold. And they had trouble being able to get me out of the water because it was just the three girls. So I was kind of afraid to go in it for months. And for the last two and a half, three months now, I go almost every single day, even when it's cold, even when it's raining, I still like to do it. It makes me feel good that I can start to do normal things again and enjoy it. 
because it's not that much fun to live in the middle of a beautiful jungle and be in bed. Indeed. Give us some very specific details of your procedure for making the juice, the cannabis juice that you drink. I take about 10 leaves, wash them well, and then um, I put them in the blender. And I have two favorite recipes. One is bananas, and you can use any kind of milk. Um, I've even used bread nuts to make milk for it before, because we have a lot of bread nut trees. And um, honey. And if you have, if you want to get fancy and put black seed or spirulina or moringa in there, you can do that. But I find if you have a really simple recipe that you like, just being able to do that every day will make sure that you get more in. And then you can just add, you know, hemp oil or hemp nuts or other healthy things. The other one I really like is um, apples, carrots, and celery. But you can put anything in there at all. And the the key is to get the balance of liquid correct, because if it's really thick, a lot of people don't like that. I don't kind of mind it being thick because I like getting the fiber. Colon cancer runs in my family, so I'm all into fiber lately. But you can strain it out and you get the majority of the benefits from it, even if it's strained. And... You said about 10 leaves. Show me with your fingers about the length of the leaves, please. About how many inches long? I would say half the size of my hand. So, so maybe like, four inch, maybe about four inch leaf, about mm-hmm. 10 of them. So you might say about 40 running inches of leaf. Sorry, if you're finding that you are not getting health benefit after about four to six weeks, just increase that. By like five leaves and then try that again and if you're really in bad shape like you have stage four cancer i know people that have given their children like garbage bags that they've just juiced and given it to them every couple hours they pour it into ice cube trays and then just put those ice cubes in like you know some apple juice or something and drink that every four hours so it depends on the severity of your condition. Maybe somebody that just wants to not feel the effects of the aging and exercise more or worries about their bone density if they're over 40, they could probably do five or six leaves and be just fine. But if you do have enough that you can do it multiple times a day, it's better to be getting smaller amounts in several times a day than to do it all at once. And have you been receiving stories from people who have been taking the marijuana this way and juicing? Have you been healing, uh, hearing healing stories? Do you have anecdotal information thousands to share a few stories with us? You have, I have thousands? thousands of them. One, yes. And people that um, have recognized us in this country and in like Ireland and other countries, there was a guy in Dublin that came up and said, I want to buy you a Guinness, you're Dr. Courtney. And he said, I can walk over here because I don't need my wheelchair anymore. And I have MS. And I don't know how many more years this has given me that I can be out of the wheelchair, but thank you. And then um, some Rastas here recognized him and they were like, that's Dr. Courtney. And they stopped him on the side of the road and showed him um, all these pictures of uh, women that were using, they use a lot of the oil here. So she was using Simpson oil and they had several stories of people with tumors that later he talked with. Um, One person called me and wanted to know just last week whether Parkinson's could be helped. And I remembered a man that came in shaking so badly that he he could barely sit straight. And he said, well, I'll try the juice. And a year later, when I saw him in the Garberville office, he drove there. He'd driven himself in. No shaking. I don't know if the, and there's actual stories of patients. I put them together at one point, sitting in my shipping container, waiting to be shipped out here. I have accounts from people that I had questionnaires I would give them to find out their level of healing and um, you know exactly how much they used. And I wanted at some point to publish that. But in the meantime, we're putting up a website 
um, or a YouTube channel. It's um, going to be Dr. William Courtney. And what we'd like to do is patients that have, have contacted us and experienced great healing with cannabis. We'd like to um, do interviews with them and put them on the channel so people can listen to specific conditions. And then in the comments in the community portion, people who every patient with MS would be able to find other people through the channel and talk about the specifics that help their condition. Oh, Kristen, I encourage you strongly to get those thousands of letters up on your website to do those interviews. And if you're willing, pick out 15 or 20 of those people and introduce me. I'll kick it off by interviewing them on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. And I'll, of course, mention you and, and William. Uh, and that would, I will be, that would be terrific. I definitely, there's another little girl I'm thinking of with rheumatoid arthritis. And it just completely changed her life. And the parents were so worried about it at first. And it's made all the difference. And this other little girl that I'm, I can't stop thinking about him now. This little girl um, had autism so badly and she had seizures that were um, this Dravet syndrome where you have hundreds of seizures a day. And she was 12, yes. but she seemed like a little, like, you know, a four-year-old. And like she had had, they thought she had brain damage or was autistic or something else might be wrong with her. And when she came in months later, she was laughing, telling jokes, making age appropriate comments that she never could have done before. It, like William was crying when he left the office because he was like, I have never seen yes. anything like that before. But yeah, I would definitely like to hook up with you on that because I have so many people that are kind of begging me. I want to get. I want to get an interview and, and talk about this. So We will definitely do it. And, you know, hearing that story about the little girl who was convulsing, you know, reminds me of the case that changed Dr. Sanjay Gupta of CNN, who was Charlie somewhat anti-marijuana, until he heard about the case of that family that moved to New Jersey to Colorado with a child that was having hundreds of convulsions a week. And after doing CBD, it was down to maybe one a week. And Gupta heard about it, went out and investigated, found out it was real, and changed his whole attitude about marijuana as a medicinal medicine. So that was a good breakthrough. Well, we're going to promote getting this information out to the public, Kristen. And I thank you very much for taking the time today. And I look forward to uh, staying in touch. All right. Well, I definitely look forward to talking to you again. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. Ah!